Hey everybody, welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church out of Peterborough, Ontario, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and to see them become devoted followers of Jesus. In today's episode, Pastor Nathan brings us part one of his series, A Better Way, which was originally brought to us by Craig Rochelle out of Life Church in Oklahoma. You know, life has a way of overtaking our time, attention, and perspective. We rush, we fret, we push forward, and hope that somehow the future will be different than the past. So over the next few weeks, we're going to discover that in this series, A Better Way, The Way of Jesus. So with that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nathan with part one of the series, A Better Way. Good morning, everybody. I want to begin with a, with a quick story. Years ago, uh, when I was in Bible college, I spent a summer working at a church out in Sarnia. And for those that aren't familiar with Sarnia, it's in Western Ontario. And uh, I was there for the summer, but on occasion I would drive back to my parents' place, uh, which was about four hours of highway driving from there uh, to home. And on this one occasion, I was driving down uh, the highway, and I looked at the clock, and I thought, it's 6 p.m., I'm going to be home around 10 p.m., I'm kind of doing the math like we always do when we're traveling. This is before the days of GPS, and uh, I'm dating myself. And uh, so I'm, I'm heading down the highway, I'm cruising, you know, at 110, maybe 115 or 120. I'm cruising down the highway, making good time, when all of a sudden, I descended into a deep fog. And I'm not talking about a regular, it felt like this, like have you ever driven on a highway or on a road and you descended into fog and it terrified you because at some point you couldn't see 10 feet in front of your vehicle, I could barely make out the lines, it was so deep and so heavy and so I did what any rational person would do, I slowed down, so I, I geared down and I slowed down, but I couldn't slow down too much and here's why, because all I could picture in my rear view mirror is a semi truck who chose not to slow down hitting me from behind. So I, I'm driving down the highway in this deep fog. And have you ever heard of this uh, phrase, white knuckle driving? And so I'm, I'm squeezing the steering wheel. My knuckles are turning white because there's not enough blood. And I'm looking into the fog, staring. And after about 30 or 40 minutes of staring into deep fog, high stress, you start seeing stuff. You're like, oh, like a deer, oh, a car. And it's nothing, of course. And so I'm driving, I'm stressed. I'm watching my rearview mirror for trucks coming up behind me. And after about 40 minutes or so, the longest 40 minutes of my life, the fog started to clear. And I cannot tell you how much relief I felt. I could start to see the highway. I could see trees in the distance. I thought, this is it. And I started gearing up and accelerating in, into, the, into the highway. And guess what happened? More fog. <laughs> back I go into the deep fog. And then I reemerge and back into the deep fog. It was one of the longest and most strenuous drives of my life. Some of you know what that feels like. The reason why I wanted to begin with that story is because as we enter into this fall season... The last 18 months has felt a lot like that story I just described. All of a sudden, the future's unclear. All of a sudden, what's behind us, what's in front of us, we can't see anybody else. We're in isolation, and we're, we're just holding on for dear life. And then, you know, summer comes along, and there begins to clear, and we start to see people, and it's like, oh, we're going back to normal, and then we're not back to normal. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That's the way it's felt. And in times like that, when there's lots of uncertainty and fear and anxiety, all around us, it's in those times that we begin to ask questions. So for me, as I'm driving down the highway, I start asking myself questions like, what am I doing out here? Why didn't I leave tomorrow morning? Why didn't I leave earlier when it was sunny? Why should I pull over and get a, a, a hotel? You know, like all these things are rolling through my mind. So I'm not just physically exhausted. I'm now mentally exhausted. And for all of us, it's been a season of fog. It's been a season where 
the future's uncertain, it's been a season of change, and, and all of this is going on, and in these seasons, people ask questions. And so, it's been really interesting to me, talking to people within our church, people outside the church, people are asking serious questions about their life. They're asking questions like, do I like my job anymore? Should I make a career change? Students are going, you know what, I think I'm going to change my major. People are going, should I stay in this marriage? And if 18 months of fog doesn't make you think, maybe I should change my, you know what I'm saying? I mean, people are just wrestling with difficult things. And today I want to wrestle through a question that I think a lot of people are asking in this season. And it's a question you probably aren't expecting any pastor to ask. So, you know, bear with me. But here's the question. The question is this. Do you ever feel like Christianity isn't working? Do you ever feel like the way you're trying to live out your faith serve and give and love your neighbor and do all the Christian stuff, do you ever feel like the way you're doing Christianity isn't working? I think all of us, if we're honest, have felt that at times, and many of us might even be feeling that now. I mean, it it could be the super volunteer, right? There's the super volunteer, gives, serves, shows up for everything, serves everybody, doing everything for everybody, and finds themselves drained, exhausted, tired, burned out. Maybe that's you. Or there's the young adult who, who went to church and youth group, had these incredible moments with God, with their peers, with their leaders, and then they get off to school or into their job and they start meeting other people and they're, they're wondering whether anything that they experienced there was real and they're wondering how it translates, how their Christianity gets lived out over here. Or maybe it's the young couple that, you know, is trying to be faithful and trying to do all the right things and they can't have a child and they're trying to figure out Why? Or maybe you've prayed for an answer to prayer and God doesn't seem to be answering and you go, does this Christianity thing work? And what I'd like to propose to you today is that perhaps we're asking the wrong question. Because perhaps the question isn't whether Christianity works, but the question really should be, is the way we're living our Christianity working? And I want to I suggest today that there is a better way. And what I want to do over the next three weeks is I want to... Um, I want us to consider the way we're living out our Christian faith, and then we're going to compare that with the way that Jesus lived. And I think we're going to find some holes, and I think that we're going to find some room for adjustment. This series called A Better Way um, actually came from Craig Rochelle in Life Church, and it's a recent series that they've just released. And I've been sort of thinking and praying about what to share in the fall, because normally it's like, you know, volunteer, get in a community group, you know, give, serve, get engaged in the community. That's our normal fall sort of thing as we re-engage. Um, this year that just didn't feel right. And when I saw this series, I'll give you a bit of the backstory. Craig Rochelle is a pastor and leader of one of the largest churches in North America. And um, he, this past summer, was in a season of sabbatical, which is a, a period of rest. So he was away from the ministry and lots of things happened in his life during that time. And I too, as many of you know, was on a season of sabbatical. And so the same lessons that he learned, I was learning, and those themes find their way into this message series. So over the next three weeks, We want to talk about a better way to do faith, a better way to do Christianity. So as we kick this off, um, we're going to turn to John 14. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and find John 14, get your finger in it. Um, I'm going to give you some context before we look at this passage. And I want to ease into this slowly because in John 13, at the end of the chapter, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't come. Now, what you have to understand is for three or more years, the disciples followed Jesus everywhere. And we talk about somebody being fully engaged in community at our church when they attend on Sunday, uh, when they get in a small group, and when they volunteer somewhere. So that's like maybe four to five hours a week of like connection. The disciples spent like 160 hours a week with Jesus. 
They, they were with him all the time. They saw him get up and eat breakfast. They saw him go to bed at night. They, they ate meals with him. They walked with him. They saw him handle every situation. And so for them, Jesus was, they were following Jesus. They weren't following a movement. They weren't following a Christian set of doctrines. They were following a person and his name is Jesus. And for them, the idea of living out their life without him was terrifying. In fact, I, I wrote this down, that the disciples are troubled at the thought of living without Jesus. And, and when I thought about this, I thought, wow, how often are we completely satisfied to try to live out our Christianity without him? I've done this. I've literally thought to myself, oh, I, I got this dad thing. I can do it without him. I wouldn't say that, but I've thought it, which is really funny because I can't. I suck. I thought that was funny, but nobody thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> I, I think to myself, oh yeah, I, I know how to pastor a church. I can lead a community of people and, I, and I'm trying to do it in my own strength. It's, I'm trying to do it through me, through my efforts and strength. And I realized, my goodness, I can't do this without him. The disciples understood this because they had no other idea of any other way they could do it. So they were like, we can't do this without you. They are absolutely panicked, which is why Jesus says this. This is his opening remarks to them after he says he's leaving. Let not your hearts be troubled. And let's stop there because there is a lot of people right now with troubled hearts. A troubled heart is when there's a storm brewing on the inside. Everything outside looks good. How you doing? Great. And inside there's a storm. There's anger. There's frustration. There's fear. There's anxiety. And it's just kind of bubbling over inside. And they're trying to contain it. And and this is what the disciples are feeling. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Which, by the way, is not helpful. To tell somebody when they're troubled not to be troubled is not helpful. Have you ever done this to somebody? One day, um, I was really mad. I was worked up with something. And one of my kids said, Dad, chill out. And I thought, I'll chill out. I'll chill you out. Uh, <laughs> telling somebody when they're scared, don't be scared. Like, see, I'm t- I'll tell you all my bad dad moves. One of my kids comes in the room. I'm scared, Dad. I'm scared. It's like, well, don't be scared. There's no monsters in your closet. And they're like, what? I never said anything about a monster in a closet. It was like, oh, I should let your mom handle this. Telling someone not to be scared when they're scared doesn't help. Telling someone don't be anxious and stressed because you're anxious and stressed doesn't help. Telling somebody not to be troubled when their heart is troubled, it it just really doesn't help. There has to be more to it than that. And thankfully there is. Here's what he says next. Let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you why you can have a calm and peaceful heart in the midst of crazy situation. And it's because God is with you. Because you believe in a God, a father who's watching out and protecting you and loving you. And he says, believe also in me. The way we know who God is, is by looking at Jesus. And so Jesus is like, you've got to believe in God and you have to believe in me. And those two together, if you have that, then you can have not a troubled heart. Do you understand? There's this incredible story in the New Testament. Uh, I'm going to ramble a little bit, but this is important. Where Jesus and his disciples are heading across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Probably a small fishing vessel. And uh, you probably know the story. Jesus decides to take a nap. And the disciples, who many of them were fishermen, they knew the sea, they knew boating, they were experts. And they're going across the sea, and out of nowhere, this huge storm surge comes in, and they're in the middle of the lake. And the disciples are freaking out. Have you ever freaked out? They're looking at the storm, looking at the wind and the waves, and they're like, we're all going to die. That was their assessment of the situation. And they literally wake Jesus up. He's asleep on a pillow. 
I love the detail that the New Testament adds. It's like Jesus is asleep on a, he's like fluffed his pillow. He's sleeping, the boat's going like this and there's water crashing over the sides and he's asleep. And they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, how can you be asleep in a moment like this? And he's like, in a moment like what? He didn't say that, that's my paraphrase. Jesus is like, what? They're like, don't you see, we're all gonna die. And he says, you've little faith. Jesus had so much peace in his heart. He was so calm on the inside that nothing that was happening around him rattled him. He's just like, and he literally speaks to the wind and the waves and the, the actual outside environment begins to line up with the environment of his heart. This is just, I mean, he's God, obviously, but do you understand? The disciples couldn't figure out how this could be possible. Their hearts were troubled. They were stirred. They were stirred. And I'm telling you, this is what we do. Years ago, I worked in a window uh, company uh, when I was about 20 years old. And what I used to do, this was sort of a niche sort of window thing. Uh, we used to bend windows. So you would uh, take the, the vinyl, the plastic material that you'd make a window out of, and you would submerge it in a boiling, oily liquid. And once the material was really hot, you could shape it. You could make an arch, or you could make curves and all these types of things. And so uh, I was in there um, uh, with this boiling oil and special gloves and all this stuff. And I had a helper with me who was uh, a new uh, immigrant from Sri Lanka. His English wasn't very good, and he had a tendency to panic. And on this occasion, we each have an end of this like 10 foot long, heavy vinyl extrusion, and we're lowering it into boiling oil, and he drops his side, and, and I'm like, I got my hands in the oil, I'm getting burnt, I'm trying to lift it out, and he literally panicked and started running in a circle, and what can I do, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And I'll never forget that moment, because every time my heart starts to panic, I hear that voice, what can I do, what can I do? Because that's what I'm doing, I'm going, what can I do? What can I do to fix this? What can I do to change this? What can I do to control this? And it's panic. And right now, in this time we're in, I see Christians panicking in a way I've never seen it before. Election coming up, panic. Fourth wave, panic. Vaccinations, vaccination um, certificates or uh, passports. I, and I understand all the issues. And I, I know people have valid arguments on all sides of it. But I'm saying... I'm talking about the panic, the stuff's going on in our world that we can't control, we can't understand, and our response is, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? I almost want to get you guys to stand up and try it, just to see what it feels like. Just put your hands up and say, what can I do, what can I do? Just try it, shake your fingers like you mean it. What can I do, what can I do? Okay, this is, <laughs> that was a half-hearted attempt, guys, I'm just telling you. Um, it's, it's a sense of panic, and, and as I think about how I live my life and how panic happens and tr- how my heart gets troubled in times like these, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he says, don't you know that the hairs of your head are numbered? That if God so clothes the lily of the field that is here one day and gone the next, don't you think he'll take care of you? Like, don't you think God has got this? Now, I'm not saying and we, we need to vote. We need to make decisions about all these things that are going on in our world, but we don't have to panic. There is a peace that comes from believing in God and believing in his son and being connected with him that the world shouldn't be able to explain. It's, it's, it's something remarkable. And so Jesus says to his disciples, go back to the text, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes on to say this. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is like, <laughs> I'm going away, that's bad news. But the good news is I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's, that's incredibly encouraging. Like this life, this world is not the end. There's something beyond. 
And we need to be reminded of that. Here's what else he says. He says this. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says the best news of all is that I'm coming back. And when I come back, you get to live with me. See, I didn't understand this. As a kid, someone pulled me aside when I was five or six and said, did you know there's this place called hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? And the flame never goes out and the worm never dies. And I thought, that's not a place I want to visit. And they said, there's also a place called heaven and there's like streets of gold and pearly gates and there's like a fruit tree with seasonal fruit that just keeps going. And every season I thought, that's amazing. I want to live there. So I said a prayer. What I didn't understand at that time is that the best thing about heaven isn't streets of gold, pearly gates, no sickness, no sin. That's amazing. But the best part about heaven is God is there. Our father is there. Our savior is there and we get to live with him. We get to be with him. The best part about Christianity isn't that God answers your prayers. It isn't that you are saved and spared from all the troubles of this life. It isn't that, um, you know, we're better than anyone else. And uh, like it's, it's that we get to be his and we get to be with him forever. Do you understand there? There's a huge difference between the Christian life that is lived for God and the Christian life that is lived with God. That's the big idea. It's, 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 it's radically different. He continues. Here's what he says next. He says, I'm going away. You can't come. And then he says, you know the way where I'm going. And to this, Thomas, who is always like, we got any analytical people? They're all like, well, that doesn't make sense. And you're kind of rolling through all the stuff. The numbers are going in your head. He says, you know the way. And Thomas says, no, no, Lord, we, we don't even know where you're going. How could we know the way? Like, we don't know your destination. So how could we ever find you and get to where you are? And then Jesus makes this statement, which is so remarkable. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. Jesus says, if you have me, you don't need to know where I'm going. I'll lead you there. If you have me, you don't have to have everything figured out because I am the truth. And if you have me, you have life. Jesus is like, I'm it. If you have me, you have it. And that should be such a source of encouragement for anyone that says, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because if we have him, we have the way, the truth, and the life. I grew up in church, and in church, we often focus, if you can go back to that verse, we often focus on this, the truth, the truth. In church, people talk about the truth. What's the truth of Jesus? What does the Bible say? What are the commandments? How should we live? How should we not live? What's the truth, the truth, the truth? Was Calvin right? Was Jacob Arminius right? Some of you have studied theology, you're like, okay, he's going there. No, I'm not going there, okay? The truth, what is the truth? What is the truth? What's the truth about marriage? What's the truth about sexuality? What's the truth about all these things? And doctrine is important. Truth is extremely important. And thankfully, we have the scriptures and we can search for truth. But truth, Jesus is more than just truth. He's also the way and he's also the life. I have met people and probably even been the person who has lots of truth and it's lifeless. I don't care if you can quote the whole Bible by heart. I don't care if you can read Greek, Latin, Hebrew, Aramaic. I don't care. If it doesn't produce love, if it doesn't produce life in you, if it doesn't produce mercy, if it doesn't produce righteousness, then what is it? It's truth without life. And, and you know, it's possible to have truth and to use it in the wrong way. Has anybody ever been mishandled with the truth? Anyone ever had somebody cut you apart with the sword of truth? Of course. Has anybody been that person? Nobody's putting their hands up. Truth is not enough. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and the life. So what I want to do over these next uh, three weeks is I really want us to consider the way of Jesus. I want to consider the way of Jesus. How does the truth of Jesus get lived out in the appropriate way? 
How do we live the Christian life in a way that is significant? Did you know, um, this is a little bit of fun fact. Do you know what the early Christians were called in the first century? Anybody know that? Yeah, I heard somebody say the way. So you would assume that the early Christians were called Christians. Like you just assume that. That, actually, that name actually came much later on. First century Christians were actually called people of the way. They weren't known for their doctrine particularly. They weren't known for their set of morals particularly. They were known for the way they lived. It was so different than the way that other people lived. I mean, when there was, a, when there was an emergency situation and people were fleeing for their lives, the Christians went in. When babies were being left for dead, they adopted them. It's like, who does that? People who live a different way do that. And so they were known as the people of the way. So we want to think about what is the way of Jesus. You know, the way you do something matters, right? I learned this right away when I got married. The way you say something matters. The timing actually matters too. You know, whether uh, I've done both of these, um, the latter more often, um, I can order a nice bouquet of flowers and have it sent to my wife's work and do that the day before and they show up first thing in the morning and she goes, whoa, he remembered. He loves me, he thought of me. Or I can come home on our anniversary with a bag of milk and a crumpled up thing of flowers from you know, the exit at the grocery store. The way I bring the flowers actually, can anybody say amen? <laughs> it matters, okay? And the way we treat people, it matters. It's not enough to just be right. The way you're right actually matters almost as much as being right. Um, so we want to compare the way that Jesus lived with the way that we live, right? We already talked about this. Jesus walked around at such peace. It's remarkable to me. Jesus is living in a time when the government would kill you, hang you up on a cross for resisting them. We don't, thankfully, we don't live somewhere here like, it's getting close, Okay. Thankfully, we don't live, but Jesus just walked around at peace. It's crazy. People were picking up stones to kill him, and he's just like, hmm, and he walks through the crowd and leaves. It's crazy. Crowds of people pressing up, saying, we need you, Jesus, and he's just like, oh, excuse me, I need to go and pray now. It's like, how, how could he live in that way, in that situation? It's so different than the way I live. Jesus took his time. Everywhere he went, he walked. Everywhere he went, he was talking with people. He would stop and help somebody along the way, and I'm always in a rush. I'm like, get out of the way. Try and make the next yellow light. Trying to get somewhere. Trying to... So there's a way that he lived that is so different than the way that I sometimes live. And I've found myself at times rushing to become somebody that I don't even like. I put together a little photo collage for you. <laughs> these are just some photos from our church uh, Facebook page. Actually, these are all church things. You know, over the last 11 years, I've been part of the church and served. And we've had a lot of fun together over the years. Um, we're preparing food for kids against hunger. This is a church picnic. I don't know, Paul's doing something cool. Um, used to play the guitar, dancing with my daughter. I don't know what Henry's eating there. That's pretty good. Uh, the big egg hunt. You know, this was a men's retreat. We made contraptions out of cardboard and flew them. Anyway, as I look back, this, oh yeah, we had a Bible study floating on the lake on floaties. That was cool. Um, but as I look back, I thought to myself, I used to be more fun. <laughs> I used to be more fun. I, I used to have more time for people. And I begin to think, what, what's, what's happened? What's happened? Um, many people don't know this because I'm the pastor, so I'm supposed to be serious and I'm supposed to, you know, all that stuff. But like, I'm the, I'm the goofy guy. I like to be goofy. I like wearing weird clothes. This is as weird as I was, you know, willing to wear today. This past week I was shopping at the mall with a couple of my, my teenage kids and 
And I found a shirt that was covered in chicken burgers. And I was like, that's amazing. And then I thought, if I get up to preach on Sunday wearing chicken burgers, no one's going to take me seriously. But that's me. I, I do weird things. And as I think about this, I think, man, it's like, it's amazing how life, how the pressures of life, family, work, ministry, all the things that we have to do can sometimes just knock the life right out of us. Do you, know, do you guys know what I'm talking about? And it was so interesting to me because um, while I was on a 12-week sabbatical, I spent you know, most mornings just reading and praying and studying the Bible. And, and in one of my prayer times, I was talking to God. I was like, God, I just feel so much pressure to, to lead people and to do the right thing and have the perfect family and always show up for people. And, you know, when someone's suffering, I got to make a phone call. I just feel like pressure to do all this stuff. And, and I felt like God said, no, I didn't ask you to do all that. And I realized, man, so much of this pressure I'm putting on myself. And I'm trying to do it for God, and I'm trying to do it for you. And that's noble, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I found that I was working for God. And this, I know this is going to seem really insignificant, but it's actually the way that I was working for God was destroying the work of God in me. Next one, I was working for God. Oh, it's not there. I was working for God instead of with him. That's, that's what I discovered um, during my time away. So here's what I want to do with a little bit of time that we have left today. I want to turn to this passage of scripture, um, you can go ahead in Matthew 11, where Jesus is going to invite us into a different way of living. And here's what he says, come to me. Jesus makes himself the center of the conversation. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden, those who feel weary, worn out, stressed out, tired, frazzled, fearful, all of that. And he says, I will give you rest. The first thing we discover from Jesus' words is that he is the source of our rest. He's the source. Of our rest. And, and what we're talking about today is not some radical shift to the way you're living out externally, but actually a radical shift to the way that you live internally. I'm talking about moving from an internal shift of, I've got this, I'm in control, I can handle this, to God's got this. You see the difference. One of them is self, and one of them is reliant upon God. That's the shift that Jesus invites us into. He says this next. He says, take my yoke, take my yoke, upon you and learn from me. I want to take a moment with this because Jesus promises rest and then he brings up the word yoke. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with what a yoke is, I'll show you a picture. This is a yoke of oxen. A yoke is a farm tool that allows you to hitch two animals together to harness their power together. It's, It's a way of pairing or teaming up these two animals. And you can hook up oxen, donkeys, horses, whatever you want. This is called a yoke. What's fascinating to me is that Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And he doesn't say, watch me do it all for you. That's what I'd like to hear Jesus say. Step back and watch me fix all your problems. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, what I want you to do is to do the Christian life with me, not for me. I want you to come alongside me. I want you to get your shoulder right up beside mine, and we're going to do this together. Do you see the difference? Uh, years ago, I worked at a ranch when I was a teenager, and they had uh, a yoke of um, Belgium draft horses. You guys have seen those big, beautiful horses. They have a gold color with kind of a yellow mane, huge feet, very strong And I remember watching the first time they were doing a hayride and all the kids are so excited. I don't know what's so exciting about a hayride. Smells bad. You get itchy. But it's fun. I don't know. It's weird. It's one of those things. 
And, and I remember he got these, these two giant Belgian horses and, and the, guy, <clears throat> the guy that was controlling the horses up on the thing with the, with the leather reins. And there was one Belgian horse that was probably 15 years old and it just stood there calm as a cucumber. Standing there in all its majestic glory. Kids are running around the horses, running around the wagon, throwing hay. You know, little kids have that squeal. It's at such a pitch, like the glass almost breaks. And they're doing that. And this horse is just like standing there like this. And the horse beside is a young Belgian horse, full of power. And its eyes are flashing white. Its ears are pinned back. And it's stirring and pulling against the other horse. And it's just like, it's just like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? There's noises I don't like. There's kids. I don't know if I'm in danger. And it's panic, panic, panic. And the other horse is just standing there. And Jesus is like, learn from me. What happens over time is the young horse begins to realize that there's a way to do this. Panicking isn't it. And it starts to watch the other horse and goes, okay, if that horse isn't freaked out, there's probably not wolves, right? There's not predators. I'm okay. I'm safe. Look at this horse. He's so calm. I must be safe. So this horse begins to calm down and it begins to learn the way to pull. And this is how they train young horses. They put a young horse with an experienced horse. So Jesus understood this. They lived in a society where everyone understood these things. We don't think about it. And Jesus uses this analogy. He says, take my yoke on you and learn from me. He's like, here's what you're going to do. You're not going to do it your way. You're going to do it my way. And you're not going to do it at your pace. You're going to move at my pace. We're not going to panic. You're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you the way to peace. And, he's, and so what Jesus does is he, he, he leads us into this life to live and do all the things we need to do, but to do it at a pace that is sustainable, to do it with the right heart. And all of that comes from doing it with him, not for him. Because if we try doing it for him, We'll find ourselves burnt out, frazzled, and exhausted. But if we do it with him, he'll show us how. He'll show us the truth, and there'll be life in it. He continues uh, to say this, take my yoke and learn from me. This is so cool. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus promises those who follow him rest for their souls. That's different than other kinds of rest. Rest for your soul is the kind of rest that every single person in this room and every person watching online today is longing for. It's like, I want to know that I'm loved. I want to know that I'm safe. I want to know that I am accepted. I want to know that I can have peace and joy. I want to know that my future is secure. There is a rest for your soul that can only come from him. It doesn't come from having more money. More money is nice because it reduces your financial stress, but it won't necessarily give you rest for your soul. Having a spouse. Some people are like, if I just had a spouse, then I could have rest for my soul. Trust me, that's not the answer. (laughs) Getting another spouse is probably also not the answer. If I could just get a job, if I just had a job, then I would have rest for my soul. No, lots of people have jobs and have zero rest in their souls. Getting another job is not the solution. Methamphetamines, not the solution. Alcohol, not the solution. More popularity, more likes, not the solution. More friends, not the solution. More sex, not the solution. We, we think that if there's, we get these things that we want, then all of a sudden there'll be rest in our souls, we'll finally be at ease, but there is no other place to find it other than in Jesus. This is the message of the church. The gospel is simply this. Emmanuel, God with us. God comes to be with us. Like if that doesn't rattle every fiber of your soul and your mind that God who created everything would come and be with us. I don't, I don't know 
What else could change us? I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And here's the final thing he says, and we'll, we'll end here and pray. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus doesn't say, <clears throat> I'm going to deliver you from this life, from difficult decisions, from the election, from your family that's being so disruptive, from your work situation. <clears throat> he says, I want to walk with you, and I want to show you the way. And, and in doing so, you can find rest and peace. And he's like, the burden is light and it's easy because he's pulling it with you. It's a shared load with the one who has the broadest shoulders. And so um, today, um, you know, there's, n- there's nothing major to change in your life other than this. Turning your heart to Jesus. And for some of you listening today, you've never said I want to do life with Jesus and others of us. Like I have found myself so often, I find myself leaving the yoke and trying to do things on my own and finding it very frustrating. And Jesus invites me to come back. And he invites you to come back and to work with him. So here's, here's the, the call today. Just simply come to Jesus. And that's an internal move. That's like, a, you know what? I'm tired because I've been doing it my way. Through the process of my sabbatical, this is the kind of stuff I was thinking about because when I left, I was weary and tired and I was doing my job and all my responsibilities. And now that I'm back, you know, 12 weeks later, I came back and I have the same job, same staff, same church, same situation. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is that now I'm trying to do what I used to do with him instead of for him. And that's what I'm inviting you to do today. There's a passage of scripture that I'll share with you and we'll pray. Psalm 23, you guys know that psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The amazing thing about Psalm 23 is it's a psalm about God being with us and us being with God. That's why it captures the imagination of people. And it says that God will look after us, he's the shepherd, but also that if we keep running off in our own strength, he will actually, he loves us so much, he'll actually make us lie down. (laughs) be like stop I don't know about you but I don't want him to make me lie down I want to trust him and lean into him today so can I pray with you father uh, thank you for this morning and we thank you for the words of Jesus we thank you that you are our father in heaven who loves us that you sent your son to die for us that lord in the midst of a world that just seems to be spiraling out of control in the midst of all these stressful situations and decisions and back to school and, and elections and all of it But I pray that as we make decisions and as we move forward, that we would do so with the peace of God in our hearts, that we would not be responding out of fear and panic, but that we would be prayerfully saying, Lord, where are you leading me today? I pray, Father, that today we'd be able to, in some way, get inside that yoke with you, that our focus as we try to live the Christian life is not being more moral, not being better Christians, but in living our life with you. That's my prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Nathan, for that message. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to check us out on all our socials, uh, pathwaylife.com, our Instagram page, Pathway Life Church, and also our Facebook page, facebook.com slash pathwaylife. Have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.